Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. The sixth democratic elections have come and gone and talk has now turned to the new cabinet, which President Cyril Ramaphosa is set to appoint in the next couple of weeks after he's been inaugurated as the country's new president. Now this morning um, at the Goldman Sachs conference, President Ramaphosa said he would indeed reconfigure the cabinet, as he's promised, and he would in fact announce the structure of the cabinet before he announced the people. Genevieve, does that surprise you that he's going to talk about structure before he talks about who's going to be in those posts? In a way, because I'm, I'm thinking of timelines, actually. He's being inaugurated on the 25th of May. Um, of May. Before that, next week, the MPs get sworn in in Parliament. He's part of that. So he steps down as the MP because then they do the election of the president in the National Assembly. So then inauguration on the 25th. And um, as far as we understand, the announcement of cabinet will be on Monday the 27th. So when does he want to announce the structure? Yeah. Well, we'll be, Is it we'll going be to waiting be before they even sworn in as MPs? Is yes. it the Sunday after inauguration? Is it at yeah. his inauguration? Generally, there's been talk of cutting the size of the cabinet to uh, 28 or I've heard as little as 25 mm. ministries. Is that going to happen? So from everyone I've spoken to, Cyril seems to be playing um, his cards very close to his chest. No one's quite sure on the number. So everyone knows, yes, he said he's going to cut it and it's going to be cut. Um, but no one actually knows by how much. There hasn't been any set figures. Even these lists of um, potential cabinet appointments that are going around, I don't think we can, I think you must take everything with a pinch of salt because it does sound like, and from people close to him have even said, they don't even know the exact details of it. He's playing his cards very close to his chest. And that's why I think we're not actually going to see any real leaks out of this unless someone is really close to the president and manages to get the information. So that's what I'm saying. I think, we need, I think we need to take everything we're hearing and reading right now with a pinch of salt. And when I say reading, I mean when you're getting lists on social media and on Twitter and Facebook, mm. etc. Look, Kanye, how much do the numbers actually matter? I mean, are you worried about the how many people are in the cabinet or what kind of people are in the cabinet or what posts are in the cabinet? What are you looking for? I mean, the numbers thing is important. Obviously, it's important in terms of like getting a more, like what to call it, more capable or more efficient state. I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, I think our cabinet is bigger than India's. <laughs> and, how many how much, and our population is not nearly as, as big as <laughs> India's. And, I mean, and we all know, like in the, in the Zuma era, that the state cabinet expanded, no, no, not, 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 not to increase or improve efficiency, but to also just, just to reward people and, 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 and create patronage networks. So it was not really about efficiency and getting right departments to do the right things that needed to be done to get the economy going. So that's more important, maybe more than the numbers, but the numbers are important. I mean, if you did it, because the chart doesn't look good. I mean, there's no way we, this country needs so many cabinet ministers. I mean, you got what? Economy, finance department, economic development, trade and industry, small business. Is there anything else I'm missing? <laughs> like, many. many. Yeah. Samantha, which posts are you watching? And are you, well, obviously, who are the, you finance, the finance, finance minister is a, is a key, key portfolio. Um, I mean, there has been speculation that Tito may not remain in the post, but again, that's all very kind of up for debate. Um, but just to, to follow on from what Lacanya said, I mean, it is really about who is going to be in those posts as opposed to, I think, the size. Although the, the size of the cabinet will send, if it's a smaller cabinet, will send a good message. Um, I think to citizens that the government is serious about kind of curbing its costs. Um, Although cutting the cabinet itself will not <coughs> have a huge impact on state spending, 
Um, but yes, the, the people who are in those positions, capable people is who we need. Uh, Sikonati, the president said again this morning that, that in fact, the, that he is committed to growth and he will be focusing on growth. And he made that connection between the kind of structure of the new cabinet and his, his set of priorities. You have written a column in this, in, in this week's Financial Mail, you know, asking, can Cyril deliver? Um, whatever he promises, what are his chances of delivering? Look, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is he has to work within that collective. That's, that, 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 that's, that, that's, that's a relic from Jacob Zuma where he pretended he was uh, making his colleagues in the NEC choose when actually it was his bosses in Saxon world that, that were making the choosing. Now, Cyril, if he, if he is to deliver, he must take back the power as bestowed on the president by the constitution and go and say, okay, guys, here are my 25 members or 20 members, but something really radical would be 15 cabinet ministers. Why do we need 20? Why do we need 25? You see, it's making Genevieve uh, a joke. <laughs> why, why do we need 25? If Cyril can deliver, if he is to deliver, the first thing, uh, impressions uh, count more. Uh, the, the, if, if he just sends the signal, <laughs> like we will have 15 cabinet ministers, of course that's extreme in the South African context. It's not going to happen because the comrades still need the jobs or they will fire him. So he may not deliver. And Cyril needs to take responsibility for this cabinet because it's no longer the cabinet he inherited from yes. Jacob Zuma. And so he was a little, you know, he's not going to remove everyone. He's got the decision he makes... And it goes back to our conversation about who makes it onto the cabinet. He is going to have to take responsibility for who he puts on that cabinet. <coughs> if he's telling us competent people who do their job, who are vision um, forward-looking, well, then he really has to, to uh, walk the talk. Exactly. As soon as he, he appointed the, the, the current cabinet last year, I had been talking to him about a few other things. He quickly sent me a message and said, uh, this is just a transitional cabinet. So you, 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 you can already see that he knew that was not going to cut it. This time he's got absolutely he's got no, no excuse. excuse. He is the president. This is his cabinet. He, yes, it's his cabinet and he is the president. The constitution says you, Mr. President, well, he will, be after will choose any number of people. He must just take. So, so the, the, the message here is, is he willing to go all the way and, and, and restore confidence and indeed deliver growth, cut costs? There's one other thing that we have not spoken about uh, since it was mentioned once, that parliament would be moved uh, up to Pretoria. Mm. Remember when we were desperate to avoid a, a, a junk rating? He has to announce a timetable about when cabinet, when <coughs> parliament will move up. Oh, it seems to me like there's so much work to do. I wouldn't have put that at the top of my list of priorities, but yes. I mean, I, I, in a way, in a way, surely one's looking to him to set priorities. There's a, mm. there's a laundry list of stuff that's been mm. promised. But he seems to be signaling growth is it, jobs is it. He actually said, um, I think today, what keeps me awake at night is jobs. And in fact, on this <coughs> subject... Oh, yesterday's unemployment numbers, Lucanio, for the first quarter, very distressing, actually. Mm. What did you make of, of tw almost 28% But then I suppose these numbers have been dreadful for many years. I mean, it's not like, you know, we've gone from 15 years last, last year to 25, whatever it is. But I think that the point is that we're going in the wrong direction. 
and, 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 and I mean, coming like two or three days after the elections or three or three or, three or four days before he actually starts his administration and has, it's almost like a wake up call to sort of, oh, no, no, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, maybe wake up call is the wrong word because I'm sure he knows how big the crisis is, but, uh, but I think it's, 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 it's just, it's just like a, shocked by the numbers. <laughs> so like, I know he was always, always shocked, but I'm sure he wasn't shocked by this one. It's, I, I think it sort of just highlights what, what he needs to do and, and how quickly <coughs> he needs to act because to make any kind of dent on this, I mean, he can't be the president that we've been talking about so far, the one who's about consensus, the one who's about ag agreeing everything with every union in the country. <coughs> I know Sigonaj has written a lot about the teachers' unions, for example, and I mean, he just needs to show himself to be decisive. And, he's, and also, like, as you know, like football, I think like uh, presidents, politicians, they, 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 they beat like football managers, they, they, their careers pick very quickly. It's going to go down from here. So, you know, he needs to act now. I think that that is one of Becky's biggest like, mistakes. You start off with a really terrible unemployment figure, and mm. in a way, it gives you, as bad as it is, it should be a base onto mm. which you can, you can show that you can turn it around. I mean, so, Sam, what, what are the chances that in a year's time those numbers look at least a little better? Well, I think a year might be a bit hopeful? optimistic, but yeah. certainly we need more policy certainty in certain areas. Agriculture SA was saying today that um, the job losses in agriculture are indicative of the policy uncertainty they feel, their members feel around land reform. So, I mean, that, that, that issue is still very much up in the air. How, how is land reform going to be resolved, which is obviously an important issue that we need to address. Um, construction, construction also, also really was hit, was hit hard. Is that we, also a, a kind of... That well, we need to stop building. We need investment in infrastructure. Yeah. And that hopefully will provide jobs for relatively um, sort of unskilled young people because that's where the unemployment rate is showing its kind of worst numbers on youth unemployment. Sikonati, what do you do see as, I don't I mean, what see are the chances that we can start turning that unemployment Look, the, like Samantha says, uh, looking short term is actually uh, a bit too optimistic. Uh, let's, let's, let's measure the success or otherwise of the new administration in two years' time. Of course, we don't have two years. Uh, an unemployment rate of 38%, forget the official rate of 27.6%. expanded yeah. rate is 38 The real yes. unemployment People rate is 38%. have given up looking for work. Yes. Uh, mm. That's the real unemployment rate, and it's too embarrassing for the government. Hence, they have the official one. That's too high. A rate more than a third of, of able-bodied people who could be working are not working. Now, do we have in this country people uh, a turnaround strategist? Because that's what you need. You need a government that can come and disrupt the situation, turn, turn, turn everything upside down. And, and uh, I'm talking now about the Labor Relations Act and, and such things. And ignore the workers, ramp up investment, in, in electricity, uh, infrastructure and everything, you don't have such people, certainly in the lot going to parliament. You have them in, in business, you have them everywhere. Cyril Ramaphosa can find those people, but he's never going to put them in cabinet because his comrades won't allow him to. Jeff Khadebe has been doing, sort of acting fast, uh, whether he's staying in the cabinet or not, Genevieve, I don't know if you have a view on that, but, but his, latest, uh, his latest announcement is that he's going to allow something which people have long called for, which is embedded generation, the ability to put a solar panel on your roof, be you a business or a household, and feed it into the grid. Now, um, we can talk about the broader electricity issues after the break, but 
Are you surprised by the sort of sudden enthusiasm from Minister Khadebe to get all sorts of things in place, Genevieve? No, not really. But let's also, Jeff Khadebe is one of the ministers that for some reason has been able to withstand everything that's happened in the last 10 years. He's just like the man who Take won't go man. away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And so I don't know, I think, yes, I think he might, I think he is going to stay on the cabinet, maybe not in the position that he's currently in. And again, I just don't see him going anywhere. But I think a lot of people are trying to prove we are those forward-thinking visionaries that the president wants on his cabinet. We will perform. And so yeah. I, I... Do you think we're going to see a lot of stuff in the next week about people who hope that somebody will keep them there? <laughs> Quite possibly. They'll Although the next, the the next week is going to be... Is going to be um, Busy, though, in terms of parliament, because Wednesday is the swearing-in of the MPs. Then everyone goes into an induction, two weeks of induction, two weeks then for the portfolio committees. Because remember, when Cyril reannounces his cabinet, the portfolio committees in parliament are going to have to be realigned with the cabinet's positions. And that still has to go to rules committee. So there's a lot to happen in parliament before we go to SONA in June. Talking about embedded generation, Sikonati, what is the significance of this? Can it help us with the electricity crisis? Does it start to open up the market? Is, is allowing people to generate their own electricity and feed it into the grid, is that privatization? Uh, the, the question about whether it is privatization or not is really not the question that we should be concerned about. The reality of the matter is we need as much electricity as we can get, and the sun is shining upon us. Uh, so it's the progressive thing to do. We generate power and feed it into the system. That generates money for, 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 the, for the private user, be it a company, a building like ours here or at home. So, and it helps ESCOM uh, get more electricity. Yes, it is privatization because you and I will be generating our own power. Uh, is that bad? Not at all. That's the progressive to do thing to do. Uh, many developed countries have been doing it uh, for a very long time. Why haven't we been doing it? The interesting thing, and I have a little tiny solar panel on my roof. Now, that is that much less I'm paying the municipality in terms of electricity tariffs, and it is pretty minute. Um, if everybody's doing it and doing it at scale, does that not worsen Eskom's financial problem? That's a kind of actually, classic utility death spiral where it becomes feasible to actually generate your own rather than it, buying it. It actually land. gives Eskom the capacity to maintain and fix once and for all they are power stations. The one thing to remember about ESCOM, it's got about five power stations that are uh, uh, at average age 50. That should already have been decommissioned, but it cannot uh, de decommission those stations before it has a sufficient generating capacity. And now it did a shoddy job of, of Medupi, Ingula, and Gusile. It needs as much power as it can get. And this is the quickest way to, to get uh, that investment going. It's even quicker than, than the formal IPP processes that, 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 that they have been running. Because everyone can get a solar and put it on there and the meter runs the other way around. And you get credits uh, instead of uh, waiting for a round of uh, solar power to be built somewhere in the Northern Cape. Don't you need quite a, I mean this is quite a radical shake up I in think the market. there could be implications for city councils who rely heavily on the revenue that they earn from electricity sales. 
Um, and as we know, they, the margin that they put onto electricity sales, that money isn't necessarily reinvested in electricity infrastructure. It often goes to fund other services. And that money doesn't even go back to ESCOM. Yes. The, the portion that yes. should go to ESCOM. And it will be mostly probably upper middle class homes who are already heavy users of electricity who are likely to be able to afford. Or businesses. Or businesses mm. to generate their own electricity. So the impact on city councils could actually be quite, potentially quite severe. I'd be interested to hear what they have to say about this plan. Well, I, I wouldn't give a toss about city councils. They're already collecting the money now, and they're not paying over to ESCOM, and the councils are collapsing anyway. Well, some are, so, some Okay, are. well, no, some, some are, but some I mean, if we're talking give about me big one. metros... Mm. I hope they are big metros. I'm sure mm. big metros are paying the bills. There you go. Uh, you can't give me one. Uh, that's, that's how bad they are. Yes, of course, there are indeed uh, some that mm. are paying, but the fact of the matter is, uh, the people cannot be held hostage to, to the maladministration and the local uh, administration. So, uh, th th that's, that's the most important part. It frees up the people who are willing to. I mean, you, you, you have industries that cannot operate because they don't have electricity. And even if you have the ability to generate your own power uh, under the current uh, regulations, you can't. So this is a very progressive move indeed by Jeff Khatebe. But, but Lukanya, is anyone thinking about what the implications are for the system as a whole? Now that you mentioned it, I was thinking like now our colleague Lisa Stein wrote about this a couple of months ago. Now to talk about a death spiral, and she was saying like exactly to people talk about the death spiral, they're talking about ESCOM itself. And she actually did look into the thing, well, what implications for the local councils. And the fact is that they're just going to have to change their business models, so to speak, like any, like any business that's being disrupted, you know. <laughs> because you're not going to regulate yourself out of this. I mean, there's only, there's only one way it's going to go. The question is, are you going to survive or are you just going to sit around and waiting for somebody to somehow artificially find some kind of remedy that that's not actually going to... That's not actually going to work in the end because no, no, with these forces, you, can, you can't stop them. You can delay them for a while. Yeah. Talking about delays, Genevieve, I mean, there seems to be actually no movement on ESCOM. There was a whole lot of action that was promised on restructuring and whatever the, in the State of the Nation address, in fact, as far back as December. Um, look, wh what is the hold up? Have you got any sense of what are the politics around the decisions being made on ESCOM? Well, I think for now, what we've got to remember, we've just come out of an election campaign, and so everyone's focus political parties and has been on elections, winning elections or growing your support or whatever. So, and now we're moving on to the positions in Parliament. So I do think that the ESCOM matter has maybe taken a bit of a back seat. Again, we go back to Cabinet, we're waiting to see, does Pravin Gordon come back as the Public Enterprise Minister? Is someone new coming in? So I think things are very much up in there. Is there a new Finance Minister? Is there not? Because after um, the ref what uh, Tito when he was talking about a budget in terms of how the you know how they would help ESCOM the certain conditions, will a new finance minister feel the same? So I think you can't really. I know it's important. I know that there shouldn't be such a lag, but I think because we're getting into a new administration, I think there is going to be a bit of a lag until we know for certain who's in certain positions. And then be, only be able to move forward from there. That's my sense. I, I'm not so sure we're sort of all a bit paralysed at the moment. I think so. But re, yeah, but yeah, paralyzed. Yeah. I think we're just waiting. We've got to go through now the process of starting a new administration, and we can't Although jump that gun. The budget mm. did um, was quite explicit <clears throat> in the timelines mm. that they had for ESCOM. I mean, they wanted to set up the transmission company by June as a legal entity. Um, as you know, they mentioned the chief reorganization officer, which was a condition of ESCOM yes. receiving no more way. funding, nothing's happened. So I think it is disappointing that there has actually been no movements. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. And it makes yeah. me wonder kind of how serious they really are. I think or maybe, how mm. contested yes. the whole thing really is. I suppose maybe you also get complacent with ESCOM because we've <coughs> had power load shedding for a couple of months and, with this and because we're burning all this diesel and we think everything, is, everything, mm. everything is, is great. I mean, if you look at it, there was, there actually there was an interesting article on, on Bloomberg this morning where they've actually done some analysis, they have some of their own analysis of, of some of the numbers that are out there in terms of the bond markets. I mean, we've always talked about ESCOM's debt being at 400 billion, whatever it is. They were actually saying this morning it's closer to 500. So it's time that we're sitting around pretending everything is fine or just or turn to like worry about the politics that that, really that, that mess that mess is getting bigger by the day <laughs> and i mean <laughs> i mean if the numbers are correct now it's 500 billion from say 420 whatever it was when the last had results what do you think is going to be when next time they have results <laughs> i'm going to turn now to something a little bit more leisurely sam insulin you've been looking at airbnb and cape town's efforts to regulate airbnbs now what is this about and what kind of signal does this send in terms of our efforts to attract more tourism? Well, it's actually a national plan. It's a national um, plan. Mm. So the Tourism Amendment Bill was issued a few weeks ago and the plan is to regulate short-term rentals. So they don't actually stipulate what they're thinking of, but in other cities, for example, London, Paris, New York, um, there are limitations on the number of nights um, you could actually rent out a room or your home. So, for example, in London, there's a 90-day rule. And once you've reached the 90-day rule, then your home gets taken off Airbnb. So various cities around the world have, have um, adopted different approaches. In Santa Monica and California, you have to have a business license. Um, and they also levy a 14% tax on Airbnb rentals. So it's unclear yet what's going to happen in South Africa. Um, people have been very upset about this. Um, I have a con potentially um, a contrary view where I think actually Airbnb rentals should be regulated. Um, I think there should be a level playing field but, uh, in the tourism industry. And obviously, while hotel in the hotel industry has a lot more muscle, they've also invested a lot and they also employ a lot of people. They also have to comply to various sort of health and safety regulations. So I'm not suggesting that, that Airbnb hosts should have to comply necessarily um, with the same level of regulation that hotels um, have to comply with, but I do think there needs to be some, some monitoring of it. And I think I'm in the minority. I, I, yeah, what I, will I, you I have to use from the panel? I certainly would disagree yeah. totally uh, with relying on you, what, what, what we do need in this country is create as much opportunity as, there, as possible for people to make money. To, to get income. What uh, Airbnb does need to do is to be taxed. Mm. That's all that you need to so do. So Airbnb does uh, pay tax, but it's whether the hosts pay tax. And that, that's, 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 that's what issue. I'm talking about. Right. So yeah. the, 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 the hosts need to pay tax. Yes. That's, that's the only intervention you need to, to have. Uh, and, and leave business alone. There's, there's a lot that needs government and government is failing yeah. to mm. do. What the government should be doing in terms of tourism make it even easier for people to come into this country and use those as Airbnb exactly. establishments and then tax them. But you then don't what need about to it? interfere in their business. So what about the hotel industry then? The hotel industry, we were talking now about disruption when, we, when it comes to, to electricity. Why should they be immune from disruption? Can I also add to that yeah. at this point? I mean, like, yeah. people also make this comparison with, with international trends, but the things that when you compare Europe to, to South Africa, it's not the same thing. In Europe, it's really about people have not having access to homes and they're pushing up the prices and young people and pensioners 
and, and people are lower is able and lowest and lower income not being able to actually afford homes where you've got this shortage of homes in, on those markets but i don't think in cape town you've got that problem we have a housing shortage in this country but those people are not competing with like with 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 with, with, with airbnb you know like sort of sort of landlords or landladies or whatever what's a, what's a, what's a pc term nowadays Jane, you were nodding frantically. Do you have? A, are you an Airbnb user? Do you have a view? I have used it. Um, I agree with Sikonati actually. Just open it up. Open it up, and mm. it does. It does give opportunity, business opportunity, and like you said, pay bits of tax and and let business carry on. In fact, in South Africa, it always feels to me that that these these disruptors have all opened new markets. Mm. In fact. Far, although the, 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 I mean, we really a lot of the existing operators have resisted mm. like crazy. I mean, mm. it feels to me like whole new markets have been opened up by the Ubers and the Airbnb. Yeah, but aren't you also making it back to Airbnb easier for people to travel because it's cheaper? Some people can't afford to pay two thousand rand a night to no, stay no. in the Southern Sun, but they can afford to pay five hundred rand a night to stay in the Airbnb. So it op also opens opportunity uh, made for more people to travel. going directly to the pocket of entrepreneurs again. Mm. That's what we need in this country. You need it to make it as easy as possible for people to make money, uh, just charge them tax, that's all. We've got a couple of minutes left, and in that couple of minutes, this is what I want to do, is give even Ramaphosa's inauguration is days off, and his first State of the Nation address is just a month off, really. Very quickly, what would you want to headline in that sonar? State of the nation. State of the nation. Just no, he like could, no, one what or he, two takeaways. He could even read the one he did last year because I don't know. Like, <laughs> just say, <laughs> just tell us how, how much Maybe he could just say, look, I'm not going to read you one. And all the things I said last year, I'm now going to do them. From like mm. uh, immigration law to you name it. It's all there. <laughs> it, it just needs to get done. Just, exactly. <laughs> Jen, quickly. I think he's going to announce the head of that new NPA oh, directorate. Okay. Sam? What's your key uh, He has mentioned this already, but I would like to see people prosecuted for corruption. Mm. What I want him to see, do, is put a target on, on economic growth. We're going for 5% and we'll do it. That is an ambition. And on that cheerful note, uh, please join us again next week for the next edition of Editing Aloud.